Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies. Wow. Episode number 39 of The Gangster. Only one more to go, and this podcast novel is complete. Then we're going to get into the ever popular Q&A episodes. We do those every time I finish a book. You junkies seem to dig them quite a bit. You can actually participate in the Q&A session live by watching the Sigler in Place live streams on Wednesday, September 8th and Wednesday, September 15th. Both will be at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch those live and participate live at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. You can be in the chat room and you can ask questions and more than likely I'll be able to respond to them live. You can hang out with the other junkies in the chat room. People have a great time in there. It's a wonderful community. People hanging out, having a blast. And most important, you can see a real girl herself and I blab away as we answer your questions. And speaking of video, did you happen to see the video for my rock band's new single, Battle Cry? It's the band's super weapon. It's metal! There's lots of guitars. Go to bit.ly slash superweapon YouTube to watch. That's bit.ly slash superweapon YouTube. Notice there's no .com, and the last bunch is all one word. Again, that is bit.ly slash superweapon YouTube. You can watch the video and see how your FDO enjoys himself when he is not writing. Let me get you caught up on the story so far. Then we're going to go shred some metal, Ted. No way, Bill. Yes way, Ted. Excellent. Previously on The Gangster, Quentin's fortunes are forever changed. He defeated Greedock. He outlasted the Kratorakian Empire. And now, finally, he returns home to Ionath. He returns home to Ma, John, Jew, and Janine. Home to Becca. Experience the long-awaited homecoming next on The Gangster, episode number 39. Like father, like son. They gathered in the Oleron's rumpus room for a last review before leaving the asteroid and starting the trip to Ionath. Aya and Beans sat on the couch. Killian relaxed in his big chair. Schmeckzan stood near him. Massal and Virak stood side to side. Everyone had jobs to do before the ship could depart. Everyone but Quentin. He felt like a fifth wheel. Massal, he said. Are you sure you and Virak don't need my help moving Gridoka into the Ulrin? 
We do not need your help, the worker said. Not at all. Masal was still so angry. Would that ever change? Now that Quentin owned, well, everything, he'd have to work with Masal constantly. No one knew the inner workings of Greedock's empire like the worker did. Virak rested his middle left hand on Masal's head, a surprisingly brotherly gesture from the warrior. Quentin again noticed the missing finger. He and Virak had both suffered greatly for their various causes. Quentin, you are Gridoka the Sunrise's consort, Virak said. If you wish to speak to her on this short journey, you may do so, but it will be best if you do so remotely. You must remember to never put yourself in a situation where you might lay eyes on her. Such an odd role reversal. Masal being the angry one, while Virak was calm and diplomatic. Would Virak be fully recovered in time for the upcoming season? With four months to go, probably. It wasn't just a question of one teammate worrying about another anymore. Soon, Quentin, the owner, would have to make hard decisions about the team's roster. Trust them, Killian said to Quentin. They have the Sunrise's best interests at heart. We have a hold ready for her. Masal and Virak will take care of the Sunrise and get her settled in. Killian seemed sober. No beer bottle in sight. He had slept off the drunk and likely the hangover that had followed it. We know what we are doing, Quentin, Schmaxan said. You need not worry. Another day, another cute stuffed animal for a face. This one, a Tyrannosaurus Rex done up in soft red and black armor, the armor decorated with corporate logos and a stitched number 67 on its flanks. Old Bess of the Ruffland Ridgebacks. The T-Rex's soft mouth hung open, fabric teeth dotting a permanent smile. Not that long ago, Quentin had seen Poughkeepsie Pete ride Bess in a Dynolition match. It seemed like a million years had passed since then. Thank you, Quentin said to Zan. You seem to know a lot about this situation. The sunrise seems happy. The Schmeck head nodded, making old Bess's thick legs and little arms flop. That happiness is real, Zan said. Very real. Greedock, in whatever form, happy, wonders never ceased. The splithead was so controlling, so strategic, Quentin said. To think that all of that is gone, it's hard to accept. The splithead is no more, Zan said. But the core of who he was did not just vanish forever. I have a feeling the sunrise will quietly make a name for herself. Quentin hoped so. As strange as it seemed, he liked the new sentient. He hoped she would enjoy her life. He hoped she would flourish. Five years of ups and downs with Greedock. What a strange way to end their feud. So that's it then, Quentin said. You guys don't need anything else from me? Just your money, Masal said. When we reach Ionath, I will notify you of necessary purchases as I make them. Shouldn't the worker ask about purchases? Quentin wasn't sure. Maybe this wasn't the time to press the point. Q, we will drop you off in Ionath City, Killian said. Then we will take the sunrise to a secret location that Masal will arrange. Quentin nodded. He didn't want to know Gridoka the sunrise's location. Two threats to his life had been removed, but more remained. 
As soon as the contract box updated the business databases, people would know Quentin was the Sunrise's consort and protector. If the Guild, or Volani, or whoever had attacked him at Randall Hospital still wanted to get at him, they might try to use the Sunrise as leverage. And besides, if even accidentally seeing her would make every quith in the galaxy want to kill him, it really was for the best if he didn't know where she was. You're apex rich now, Aya said to Quentin. Richer, anyway, wallowing in that chitin. What are you going to do with your new criminal empire now that you're a gangster? The question embarrassed him, forced out an uncomfortable laugh. I'm hardly a gangster. Aya smiled. Oh, sugar, you haven't been paying attention. You now control Greedock the Splithead's organization. You're not just a gangster. You're one of the biggest in the galaxy. Until he could figure out what to do with that organization, Aya was probably right. I'll come up with something, he said. Aya shrugged. Don't let all that power go to your head. Give to the Church of Yitzhak Goldman, Bean said. Move that wealth over to the White Wonder. Killian stood. Let's not tell Quentin what to do with his newfound wealth, all right? Aya rolled her eyes, looked off. Beans shivered once, making his fur shake. Killian smiled at Quentin, a look of both pride and sadness. Q, it's best if you stay in your cabin while Masal and Virak move Gridoka, Killian said. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stay in your cabin for the rest of the trip. Not only did Quentin not have a job to do, his father was getting him out of the way. But we have two days to reach Big Rock and punch in. You want me to stay in my cabin for two days? Killian nodded. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Trust me, it's for the best if I don't have to worry about where you are, what you might see. Zan will bring you your meals. Two days in the tiny cabin would be incredibly boring, but the Oleran crew had come through for him. If this made it easier on them, that was fine. Sure, Quentin said. Whatever you need. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. 
Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The two days crawled past. Quentin spent most of the time working on the Kraken's playbook. Maybe Bagel the Fishy would still take the job. With less than a week before the start of the Tier 2 campaign, Bagel would probably be committed to his team, the Citadel Aquanauts. But he wouldn't be the first coach to be plucked from his T2 team in mid-season to become the coach of a T1 franchise. Money talks, power screams, and now Quentin had plenty of both. If Bagel wouldn't take the job, the search for the right coach would have to be done quickly. Tier 1 preseason was only six months away. And something else would happen in about six months. He'd be a father. Hopefully. Where would Quentin, Becca, and the baby live? There were still so many threats. Possibly even more threats now that criminal elements would undoubtedly be looking to acquire pieces of Greedox Empire. The Kraken's building likely had the best security in Inath City. And Greedox quarters were likely the safest in the Kraken's building. How ironic would that be? Quentin taking over Greedock's living quarters. When the Oleran punched in at Big Rock, Quentin had thrown up, his motion sickness getting the best of him. When the ship punched out at Ionath, though, he didn't toss up his lunch. Maybe that bode well for the season. He was beside himself with excitement. On punch out, Masal had quietly sent word to Becca. If all went well, she would be there when Quentin disembarked the Oleran. He hadn't seen her in a month. A knock on his cabin door. Quentin slid it open to see his father standing there. He smelled a beer, but only a little. We're skids down, Killian said. You ready to go home? Quentin had no bag, no belongings, just the clothes he wore. Even those were borrowed. More than I can express, he said. Will you walk me out? Killian smiled. Son, I wouldn't miss that for the world. They walked down the Oleran's main corridor, heading for the airlock. You made yourself scarce since showing me that cargo container, Quentin said. The older man nodded. Yeah, I guess I did. Honestly, I didn't mean to tell you so much. Carrying that knowledge only adds to the threats you're facing. I guess the big question is, do you believe what I told you? Quentin didn't want to believe. He wanted to play football. He wanted to fight for a third championship. He wanted to spend time with his wife and child. If there was an invasion force coming, could he do any of those things? Yeah, Quentin said. I guess I do believe. As they walked, Killian reached up, gripped Quentin's shoulder. Good, the older man said. I guess now you'll have to decide what you're going to do about it. Will you get out on that field or stay on the sidelines for this? Despite the seriousness of the subject, Quentin couldn't hold back a laugh. On the sidelines? Nice, Dad. How long did you work on finding just the right sports metaphor to get through to me? Killian chuckled, smiled sheepishly. Uh, about an hour, I think. I was trying to come up with something about taking the ball across the goal line, but I couldn't make it work. Quentin laughed again, loud and genuine. It felt good to walk with his father, to laugh, to share. But that laugh quickly faded. You're not the only one asking me what I'm going to do about the Abernessians, Quentin said. And honestly, 
I don't know that me getting on the field is going to do anything at all. What are you going to do? They walked on in silence. Quentin could see Killian debating what, if anything, he should say. More secrets? I has been researching an old shipmate of mine, Killian said. Soon, maybe, I'll take the Oler into the nation and talk to that shipmate. She could be critical to the cause. The cause. Killian and Petra Prawat would get along great. Some old crew member of the Oleran could do something about the Abernessia? Sure, that made sense. Unless... A shipmate? From which ship, exactly? Her name is Kolel Sidelmina, Killian said, ignoring the question. You heard of her? The name sounded familiar. I think so, Quentin said. Is she in the church? Something like that. What can she do? Killian shrugged. Maybe nothing, maybe everything. If you want to get involved, I'll tell you all about it. The galaxy needs you, Quentin. If you want to, you can rally support like no other sentient. Are you really going to stay out of this fight? Quentin would rather his father have continued with sports metaphors. Stay out of the fight. That phrase brought the situation into a certain clarity. Honestly, I don't know, Quentin said. I got a lot on my plate right now. I know how selfish that sounds. But to be honest, I don't know what I could do to help or even if I'd be any good at it. At least not till I figure a few things out for myself. Killian sighed, nodded. The man was a warrior born with blood on his hands. He was going to fight. Quentin thought of Zan's tale about Killian's prowess in battle. Quentin hadn't wanted to ask about that, but this might be his last chance. Dad, when you fight, do you see... Never mind. It sounds insane. Killian hesitated, then answered the question that had not been fully asked. Do I see glowing lines, things like that? Yeah, I do. An unexpected, immeasurable sense of relief. Quentin had often wondered if he might be crazy, if he'd hallucinated those lines. But if his father had seen them, then they were real. What are they? Why do we see those? Killian breathed in sharply through his nose, glanced off. I'm not ready to talk about that, he said. For now, just know that you have a special ability. Treasure it. Listen to it. Believe in it. Because it can save your life. It saved mine more times than I can count. And there it was. Yet another secret. One more thing his father wouldn't discuss. There was no point in badgering him. Not now. Not when Quentin wanted to leave on a positive note. Massal told me the transaction went through, Killian said. The Ionath Krakens are officially yours, as is a whole bunch of other stuff as well. It was official. The orphan who had fought for food, who had risked punishment to watch bootlegged football broadcasts, who had almost died in the mines of Makovi, was now the owner of a GFL franchise. Is Gradoka all right? She handled the trip well? She's fine, Killian said. She'll be with us for two more days, then she'll be in her permanent home. Quentin thought of asking where that was, but he let it go. His decision to not know her whereabouts was the right one. Dad, Xana's a quith queen, isn't she? A statement rather than a question. I don't know where you'd get such a silly idea, Killian said. There had to be a grand story behind how he took Xan on as part of the crew. Yet another story that the father wasn't willing to share with his son. Not yet, anyway. 
Maybe in the future, he would. They reached the open cargo hatch and the ramp that led down to the tarmac. The two men stood there, awkwardly, perhaps not knowing how they were supposed to act around each other. Quentin found himself wishing the walk had been just a little bit longer. Come with me, he said. Come meet Becca. Killian glanced off. Uh, that's not a good idea. We don't want anyone seeing you and me together. It's not safe for you. He put his hand on Quentin's shoulder. I'm going to miss you, son. A simple enough statement, but genuine. Quentin felt the same. For 23 years, Killian Carbonaro had been absent from his son's life. But for a few short, insane weeks, he'd done everything he could to protect Quentin. Did that make up for the missing years? Maybe not. But it was one hell of a start. I'll miss you too, Dad. Don't be a stranger. Once you get Gridoka settled, figure out a way to come and see your daughter-in-law and your grandchild. Killian shook his head. I won't put you and your family at risk like that. He said it automatically, as if the words were muscle memory. He'd stayed away for so long, he didn't know how to not stay away. Ah, come on now, Quentin said. Do you forget that your son is a big-time gangster? I'm sure we can smuggle you in. And besides, even if someone does connect us, people have been trying to kill me for years. What difference will a few new enemies make? Killian stared at Quentin, a hint of a smile at the corners of his mouth. Maybe it was a good thing I wasn't there, Killian said. Look how you turned out. If I'd raised you, I don't think you'd be the man you are today. I'm proud of you, Quentin. You are my son, and I'm proud. As far back as Quentin could remember, he'd longed to hear those words. And he knew that someone else had longed to hear them too. Janine will probably be on the tarmac with Becca, Quentin said. Maybe she could come inside the Oren and just say hello? Killian glanced down, his confidence shattered by a single sentence. His shoulders sagged. I can't face Janine yet, he said. I wasn't there for you, but she and I, we have a history. He looked up. Don't tell her I'm alive. Not just yet. Quentin shook his head. Not a chance in the low place that I'd keep that from her. Whether you come or not, she'll know you're alive. I'm a danger, Killian said. To you, your wife, your kid, your sister. Killian was trying to do the right thing when there was no right thing to do. There was no good answer for him, no easy way out. Janine will know, Quentin said. Anything you want me to tell her? His father was quiet for a moment. Quentin's heart broke for the man. Tell her. Tell her I love her, Killian said. I love you both. More words Quentin had always longed to hear. Overwhelming. All-encompassing. He had found his father. His father loved him. I love you too, Quentin said. You know you can't stay away from me forever. I need to know about your past. I need to know who you are. And maybe, most of all, I need to know about that ridiculous lie you told me about when you met Mom. You know the timeline you gave me is impossible, right? Killian shrugged. Some things are more complicated than they seem. Maybe I'll tell you someday, but no promises. Stay sharp, son. Stay safe. Quentin reached out. 
For the first time in his life, he hugged his father, felt his father hug him back. Killian thumped Quentin's back twice, then turned and strode back up the corridor. Who knew what the future brought? Maybe father and son would team up again, join a fight against a coming nightmare. Someday, perhaps, maybe even someday soon. But not now. Now, there was only one place Quentin needed to be. With Becca. Homecoming In the shadow of the Oleron's wing, Quentin descended the ramp. The ship had landed in the spaceport's busy industrial sector. Another small freighter to the left and one to the right as well. Across the tarmac, he saw trucks rolling along, shuttles rising up or coming down to land, forklifts and cranes loading and unloading. What were they unloading? Cargo containers, mostly, just like the one in the Oleron's hold. In this area alone, one part of a single spaceport on a single planet, Quentin saw at least 500 cargo containers, stacked on top of each other, on rolling trucks, being loaded and unloaded from ships. Beans needed to invent that detector, or the Abernessian-funded Vermada would... Quentin chased away the thought. This wasn't his fight. Not right now, at least. He reached the bottom of the ramp. As he stepped onto the tarmac, Feeling the firm footing of his home for the first time in months, he saw a small wheeled cargo truck rolling his way, flatbed packed with sentience. At first he assumed they were customs officials coming to inspect the Oleron. There were two that clearly fit that bill, a quiff leader and a worker with an equipment-laden cart, but also five tough-looking, extremely well-dressed sentients. A human, a key, a quiff warrior, a heavy G-man, and a lithe sclorno tightly wrapped in lime-green robes. The flatbed truck slid to a stop. The passengers hopped off. The leader helped the worker lower the cart to the tarmac. The human wore a trench coat and a round hat with a flat brim. Quentin recognized him. Wakan Reed, the thug that had accompanied Massal the efficient when Massal had unwittingly held Quentin in place long enough for Greedock to spring his trap. The same person that had uncovered the fake schism meeting, which made him responsible, at least partly, for putting Quentin in the borehole. Reed and the other four toughs, they were gangsters. Gangsters that now worked for Quentin. The quith worker pushed his cart up the ramp. The leader stopped in front of Quentin. It was Kotop the observer, the same leader who was always there to inspect the touchback after a return trip. Quentin Barnes, the leader said. Do you have anything to declare? Quentin realized he was still covered under GFL diplomatic immunity. Such a strange realization that his immunity was again a real thing, that he couldn't be snatched away and tortured. No, Quentin said. I have nothing to declare. I remember when you were just a rookie, Kotop said. And now you are the owner of the Krakens. You must have been born beneath favorable stars. A dead mother, two dead brothers, a father he barely knew— Favorable stars, indeed. I'm surprised the news is already out, Quentin said. Your security detail told me. Good luck with your newfound fortune. Wakan Reed approached. Kotop stepped aside, pretended to busy himself with a visual inspection of the Oleron. Welcome home, Elder Barnes, Reed said. Don't call me Elder. Reed bowed. As you wish. What would you prefer we call you? 
Quentin would prefer not to speak to any of them but one thing at a time. Just call me Quentin for now, and no more bowing. Reed adjusted his hat, spoke quietly. Calling you by your first name might not send the right message to your organization, Reed said. How about I call you Boss instead? Boss? A name that would remind him nonstop of the bats? No way. Elder is fine for now, Quentin said. I take it Masal contacted you? He informed us of the change in management, Reed said, then gestured to the other well-dressed thugs. These are your personal bodyguards. The key is Megal Wook. Sharky Gibson is the big fella. The warrior goes by Gopon the Blight, and that green rat bundle of joy there is printed Kathetic Hokonin Kalapashtinich, but we just call her Squeaky. Quentin turned in place, scanning the tarmac, trucks, and ships for threats, for anything that looked suspicious. Who else knows I'm here? Your wife and a few of your friends, Reed said. We secured a small warehouse at the edge of the port. They're waiting there for you. Unless they blabbed, no one else knows you're here. Miss Saul instructed me to drop everything and ensure your safety. I got the impression that you and Miss Saul didn't get along. Reed smiled. Elder Barnes, I don't know what would have given you that idea. Miss Saul informed us that, with Greedock out of the picture, he's the one responsible for payroll. I have a policy not to hold grudges against those who make the deposits. Money talks, power screams, and now Quentin had plenty of both. Chodo watched out for Quentin, and normally that was enough. For now, though, perhaps extra protection was a good idea, at least until Quentin could properly extricate himself from Greedock's criminal organization. The worker pushed his cart out of the Oleron, rolled it down the ramp. No weapons, no explosives, the worker said. Of course not, Kotob said. I wouldn't expect anything less from the owner of the Ionath Krakens. Have a good day. The leader helped the worker push the cart across the tarmac. No weapons, no explosives. The Oleron was loaded with weapons. Quentin wondered how easy it was to fool the custom agent's detection equipment. Reed gestured to the small flatbed truck. Elder Barnes, if you'll come with us, there's a few sentients who are very excited to see you. The truck drove past the industrial sector's terminal, moved toward the open loading doors of a small warehouse. At Reed's request, Quentin sat cross-legged in the middle of the flatbed. The bodyguards and Reed stood around him, blocking any view of him from other sentients working on the tarmac. It reminded Quentin, slightly, of that moment after Hokor's funeral, when his teammates had coalesced around him, ready to fight for him if anything went wrong. That was far more comforting than this. The sled slid through the open door. The warehouse was empty, save for a long black limousine. Standing in front of that limo was what could only be described as Quentin's personal cheering section. Ma, John and Jew, Chodo, George Starcher, Tara the Freak, Big Mike, Janine, Fred, and, at last, at long last, Becca Montaigne. Everything faded away, everything but her. Her long black hair, her smile. And even from 20 meters away, Quentin saw that her belly was bigger. She was showing. The flatbed truck eased to a stop. 
The Tweedy brothers shouted and rushed toward it, waving their arms, whooping and hollering with joy. The bodyguards stiffened. Elder Bonds, Reed said, you want us to stop him? Quentin shook his head, then hopped down to the warehouse floor. Almost as soon as he did, he realized he'd made a mistake. John and Jew didn't slow down. They came in at full speed, laughing, hit Quentin almost as hard as he'd been hit on the field. He would have fallen on his ass if both brothers hadn't wrapped their powerful arms around him. Welcome home, John screamed. We mega missed you, little brother. Super duper mega mongo missed you, Juice said, and crushed Quentin in a too powerful hug. Quentin laughed, hugged his brother's back. I missed you guys too. Jonathan, Julius, let him go before you kill him, you big idiots. Quentin's brothers did as they were told, making room for Ma Tweedy. Quentin bent at the waist, hugged her gently. My baby boy, she said. Are you all right? He started to say, of course I'm fine, but the words froze in his throat. Not really, he said. It's been one hell of a month, Ma. She kissed his cheek. You'll tell me about it later. For now, say hello to the people who love you. He stood straight, just as the rest of the posse reached him. People hugged him, smiled at him. Fred, George, Tara, Janine, who would soon learn her father was alive and well, and Big Mike, such a genuine outpouring of love and relief. Quentin was thrilled to see each and every one of them. They all stepped aside, making room for Chota the Bright and a smiling Becca Montaigne. Chodo glanced at Reed and the other bodyguards, a swirl of green on his cornea. He looked at Quentin. The color vanished. I have kept Becca safe, he said, and again glanced at Reed, who smiled back at him. Was Chodo jealous of the man? Thank you, my friend, Quentin said. She's my everything. Quentin stepped to her. She held out her hand. In it, his championship-slash-wedding ring, its orange stone gleaming bright. He spread the three fingers of his left hand. She slid it on his ring finger. Welcome home, husband. He'd had no idea how much he missed the ring's weight, its mass, all the things it represented. He put his hands on her shoulders. Her smile waned, faded, as fear claimed her face. The tension of the past few weeks, perhaps, roiling up from wherever she had pushed it down. She blinked rapidly, her eyes shimmering with tears. You're really home, she said. You're really safe. He slid his arms around her, gently pulled her close. He kissed the top of her head, smelled her hair. He'd missed her so very much. But until he'd laid eyes upon her, until he held her, he hadn't truly understood the persistent emptiness that consumed him when he wasn't with her. I'm really home, he said. I'm really safe. Everything he'd been through. The pain, the torture, the ordeal with Greedock, he'd endured all of it just to have this moment, just to hold her again. She hugged him tightly, her fingers digging into his back. He felt her body shaking. I thought you were gone forever, she said. I thought I'd never see you again. He held her close, a part of him afraid this wasn't real, that he was still in the cell, hallucinating all of it. The tighter he held her, the more real it became. I will always come home to you, he said. Always. Until the stars burn out and the universe fades to blackness. 
He felt her sobbing again, was aware that the others had stepped away to give him and Becca more privacy. All those people that got hurt, that died, she said. I was trying to bring pressure on the government. I didn't realize people would riot. When they did, I I kept going anyway. I couldn't stop. I had to fight for you. Those deaths, all the injuries and arrests, are those my fault? Quentin kissed her temple. His heart broke for her. People had rioted in his name, but Becca's efforts had been the spark. No, none of that is on you. You didn't have me taken away. You didn't put me in a prison. I'm sorry those sentences are gone, my love, but if you hadn't kept up the pressure, I would have wound up right back in that cell. I'm here, now, because of what you did. He felt her nodding. They were together again, but thousands of lives had been lost. It was a burden he knew they would both carry for the rest of their days. She held him for another long moment, then pushed away, gently cupped his face in her hands. Her eyes flicked about, narrowed, filled with concern and rage. I saw your confession, she said. On her tongue, the word sounded like a thousand curses. You can tell me what happened whenever you're ready. You can tell me anything. He leaned in and kissed her lips. Softly, intensely, the thrill of it coursing through him. It's not pretty, he said. You you won't think the same of me. If you think anything could change the way I feel about you, then you have no idea how much I love you. She took his hands, moved them to her belly. He felt the bump. Their baby. Part him, part her. Shoto's words back in the Hypatia flashed through his thoughts. Only a 2% chance his child would be born healthy. The baby. Is it okay? I've been so worried. Not an it, Becca said. A her. We're three months in and she's still healthy. Congratulations, Papa. You're going to have a daughter. A girl. A daughter. The reality of it hit him anew. How do you know already? I saw Doc Patai yesterday, Becca said. He ran tests, said the baby is fine, but he wants to talk to us both. As soon as possible. Will you come with me? Pata was not to be trusted. But then again, that was because the Splithead had controlled him. The Splithead was gone. I will, Quentin said. I wouldn't miss it for the world. They were interrupted by John's extremely loud kissing noises. Enough with the smoochy smoochy, he said. Mom ate cookies. If you want to swap spit and rub tummies, do it after we all get some shucking snacks. Ma turned and started slapping at John, who covered his face. Jonathan, language! John flinched away. Ma, take it easy! I love snacks, Jew said. Jew licked his finger and stuck it in John's ear. John slapped the hand away and grabbed his brother. Wet willy me, you super mega jerk! John threw Jew to the ground. Jew tucked into a ball, giggling hysterically as his brother punched him in the shoulder. Becca laughed at the pair, and just like that, Quentin's fear and guilt and tension vanished or at least went into temporary hiding. He knew those things would return, and with force. His life had changed. Changed forever, and in more ways than one. A father. A husband. An owner. A gangster. And, if Killian and Petra were to be believed, a savior. Yes, 
the pressure would come. But for now, Quentin had Becca. For now, Quentin had his family. The rest of the galaxy and its overwhelming demands could wait. For now. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.